a sermon podcast from the Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. Hi, I'm Murray Berry. I'm a member of the Lawson Heights Alliance Church. Uh, I don't know if I'm officially a member, but uh, I like to think I am because they are part of my family. Uh, just growing up in small town Saskatchewan, I had a typical childhood. Uh, it was a one-parent family. Um, you know, of course, money-wise, we struggled. And, uh, you know, so it, it made me appreciate the fact that, uh, that family and friends uh, were important. Um, I can remember when I was about seven or eight years old, I'd get up on Sunday morning and eat my breakfast and, uh, and because I had nothing to do, nowhere to go, I would go to church and I would spend time at Sunday school. And uh, so that, I guess, was kind of the beginning of me feeling like I, there was something more in my life, like something more important. So, so as I grew up through my teens, I did what most teenagers did, you know, go out and party on the weekends. Um, and uh, I would always end up feeling like the outsider. I've always had a spiritual feeling like there was something more, uh, something more important for me, something more um, other than myself and the situation that I was in. So uh, there was another thing that where I think possibly God had a, a play in it, that he was uh, watching over me and guiding me. So I wasn't really involved in the church or anything. Um, and uh, so I just kind of floated through life for the first probably 10 years that I was uh, at work. Um, I ended up getting married. Uh, and I think the problem was that uh, uh, I, I got married just for the sake of getting married. Um, you know, I, I've heard the saying that, you know, don't look for the right person, be the right person. And I don't think I was the right person at the time. So it, it just, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a good. It was a good thing at first, you know. And then, especially when our kids came along, um, you know, that was uh, that was the light of my life. I uh, I even quit smoking for six years when my first daughter came along. And the uh, pastor who married us, uh, Derek Tingle, uh, I'm pretty sure he was in his seven, late 70s, and uh, he was uh, from England, and he was a he was my first experience with kindness um, the the kind of thing you see in a Christian that is uh, warm and inviting loving um, type of person um, we even did Bible studies with him uh, after that and uh, so we we would sit around the living room and uh, talk about God and and what God meant to us and and that I enjoyed a lot and uh, I'm enjoying the Bible study that I'm in now so it's just another progression through my life. Um, another person was uh, uh, Ernie and Beth Klingenberg. He was a retired engineer. He was another person that I really loved. Um, he was warm and kind, uh, both him and his wife. And uh, I, I was over at his house quite a few times and he would show me all his lace and things that he worked with and uh, just inspiring type of person. Uh, I, we were going to, after we got married, I made it an effort to go to church on a regular basis. Um, and especially when the kids came along, because um, I wanted them to feel that experience. I wanted them to learn about God. 
so uh, after uh, you know my wife left, I was uh, I was alone. Uh, didn't know where I belonged in this world. Uh, you know, didn't really fit in, and felt lost. I decided that I was going to start writing out on a piece of paper who I was, what I was about, uh, what I wanted in life, and who I was looking for. And the more I went through it, because I did four or five drafts, I just kept going through it and I got more and more honest with myself. One day, I don't know what happened, but when I was reading through it and, uh, and uh, being more honest with myself, I, I was feeling kind of down about who I was. Um, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and I don't, I can't explain it, I can't put it into words, there's nothing there's no words in this world that can explain it. And I don't know if other people or other Christians have felt it, but it felt like a, a, a stab to my heart. And my body filled up with so much love. And I just wish that other people could feel that love because it was overwhelming. It dropped me to my knees and, uh, and I was just trembling and I was so happy. I just felt so connected to everything. And, uh, it lasted not long enough, in my opinion, and maybe that's, it was too much love, because it really knocked me, to, knocked me down, but, um, you know, I, I got up and I just started laughing, because I felt so good, and I knew that was God telling me that He loved me. That's my first, most definite uh, proof that, that God exists in my, in my life and everyone's life. Um, then uh, eventually I found my way to uh, Pastor Mike and uh, you know uh, and Vince who's been a, uh, probably one of the best friends a person could ever have and that's just his nature because he's like the Derek Tingle and uh, uh, you know Ernie and Beth Klingenberg they they're just kind of those people you want to be around because they're always happy and they're always warmth, uh, warm and kind um, accepting Christ into my life, uh, I guess it's always something that's been simmering in me. Um, it just took a nudge and it took uh, a little bit of uh, persuasion on, on the part of, you know, my friends and obviously God working in my life. And uh, I know the, that being baptized is a very important part of uh, committing myself to Christ and to uh, joining the Brotherhood. I'm not sure how, what else I could say about that except for the fact that I, I, uh, I just love being a Christian. Um, it's made my life so much better and brighter. And you know, even though I'm later in life, it's never too late to accept Christ into your life. Okay. Murray, do you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Claim him or to follow him all the days of your life. I do. Therefore, in the name of the, uh, Jesus and the, uh, the Father and the Holy Spirit, I declare thee baptized. All right. There. That was Murray Berry, everyone. Uh, Murray's going to be gone for a number of weeks, but he wanted to uh, make sure that our, at our last men's Bible study uh, that uh, we got baptized, he got baptized, and um, uh, 
Vince just about got baptized, just about fell in too, but that's okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, he wanted to make sure this happened before he went away, and he wanted you all to see this and uh, uh, to rejoice in uh, God's goodness in his life uh, with him. And uh, uh, so make sure that you give him a pat on the back and welcome in, him into the brotherhood. Hey, guys. Uh, and when he comes back, that'd be awesome. Well, let's uh, get into God's Word. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew, or Mark chapter 12, uh, also take out the sermon notes that came with your bulletin. Uh, we'll get into God's Word there. And before we do, <clears throat> we need to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you through your example of love for your Son and the unity in the family of the, the triune God you showed us very clearly what it is to love. And today, Lord, as we get into your word, we're going to continue on in this series with an expression of, of how you loved us, how you loved your son, and what it is that we can do in our life networks, in our spheres of influence, to show the love of the Father to others. And so we pray on this Father's Day that you would bless all of us with this word, and you'd show us very keenly uh, how to follow through on it in the week ahead. We pray for our kids that are down in Kid Zone. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity as a dad to have had the blessing of being able to see teachers and helpers and Sunday school and Kid Zone workers pour into my kids' lives on Sundays and throughout the weeks. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to offer that today for the families in our church. And so, Lord, we pray a special blessing on the kids as they are being immersed in your word right now, being shared with how to walk with you in the sphere of influence that is theirs, their life network. They have a net life network as well. Help them, Lord, know how to put feet to faith and, and obedience to your word and help them to fall in love with Jesus. We thank you for this time, Lord, in your word, and we pray that throughout this entire church right now, you would be magnified and glorified, and that your word would come true to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, I got thinking the other day, 2,000 years ago, on Father's Day, well, actually, there wasn't a Father's Day, there wasn't an official holiday called Father's Day 2,000 years ago, it didn't exist yet, but if there was, would you find, would we find dads and their kids in church on Sunday? Because these church buildings, they didn't exist yet 2,000 years ago, when the, first, when the church was first born. So what do you think fathers did with their kids 2,000 years ago to help them know Jesus and to know his gospel? Well, we know that the early church met in homes. The book of Acts tells us all about that. So it started out very small. It started out very small. In fact, back in that day when the church was first born, uh, men played a huge role in the functioning of the early church. I mean, right from the very beginning of the church as a movement, there was only 120 people strong. So how did the early church move from a small group of about 120 misfits gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem to reaching nearly 65% of the Roman Empire within just 300 years? It's strange because within the first 200 years, they didn't even have buildings and pulpits and Sunday school like we do today. As you look at your life network, there are friends and family and co-workers there that you care about, isn't there? And there, there's people there that you would love to see come to follow Jesus. 
And yet most of those people have absolutely zero interest in ever attending an event or a gathering at your church or even just attending church. Sadly, most of us miss that fact. But a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you some stats that showed that that was just the case. And as a result, churches in Canada, statistically we see, are either plateaued or they're in decline. You and I can have a lot of our time and money and service invested in various activities and events to try to attract our friends to church, but it matters very little to them. They're just not that interested or even looking to attend church. You see the disconnect here. No matter how amazing we make church, a good percentage of our life networks just ain't going to come because they aren't looking to add church to their already busy lifestyle. And if you were to ask them why, what they think about Christianity and the church, what would they tell you? Well, you know, the church is full of a bunch of what? Hypocrites. Rightly or wrongly, that's what they think, isn't it? And we've all heard that from our friends and families. So is it any wonder why they probably won't be accepting an invitation to attend church? They don't want to become what they think we are. So how did the early church do it? When, when they didn't even have church buildings and programs and activities and, and barbecues and things like that to invite anyone to. Well, throughout this series, I've been contending that in order for us, if we really are interested in seeing people in our life network connect with Jesus and accept Jesus and see the church grow, then we need to reclaim some things that the early church just got. Like, we need to reclaim the Jesus who constantly sat himself around the tables of all kinds of people and ate meals with them. And as we reclaim that Jesus as our Savior, then we might also want to consider reclaiming his method and his habit of eating meals with people like he did. Friends, we have 2,000 years of church history that show us that the gospel is best shared and lived through hospitality and meals. And though we, we might get that, though you might get that and say in your head, hey, that's a good idea, yeah, that, we should do that, the likelihood is that, the likelihood that you'll actually accept that about Jesus and actually live like Jesus and actually engage in hospitality and meal sharing with your neighbors and your life network is slim to none. Sorry to be so blunt. See, even though you know that about Jesus and his gospel. It doesn't mean that you'll actually do it yourself. And here's why. Most Christians don't have the heart or the ambition that Jesus had. And they don't have a lifestyle that, that is compatible with hospitality and eating and sharing life with people that are far from God. Again, sorry to be so blunt. It's funny how most of those in your life network have no room for church in their life. They exclude church from their lifestyle because they presume that if they go to church, they're just going to become like the rest of the hypocrites. So how is our religion different from, say, that of Jesus? He had a religion. He was a Jew. Because it, it appears from the Gospels that Jesus didn't have any image problems with ordinary people 
They liked him, and they were eager to spend time with him. They, even, they never, ever accused him of being a hypocrite. One day, as Jesus was in the temple, that was a Jew's form of church back in the day, a teacher of the law of God, kind of like a pastor, a scholar, comes up to him and asks him a question. It says in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, he asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And then Jesus responded back with the ancient command from the book of Deuteronomy, known, as, known to every Jew as the Shema. Can you say Shema? Shema. And this is what he said. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 to 34. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like it, he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You were right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, more important than your, than your religious duty as a Jew. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any questions. See, they had been asking him all day questions, trying to test him. To scholarly Jews, this, like this fellow here, asking this question, there are two books, two Torahs, if you will, that were hugely important to the Jews and to their religion. The Torah consisted of the written foundational narratives of the Jewish people. Namely, their call and covenant with God through Abraham, their trials and tribulations, especially uh, in Egypt and around the Exodus and their Exodus out of Egypt, and their wilderness wanderings where they learned to follow God as a way of life through certain laid out stipulations and obligations and civil laws. This written Torah consisted of the first five books of the Bible and of our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the Jews also had what was called an oral Torah, known as the Talmud. These were the interpretations and the commentaries of ancient rabbis, Israel's teachers, kind of like pastors. And these were handed down by word of mouth from generation to generation. And it wasn't until about 100 years after Jesus that the oral Torah, the traditions, were actually written down. So that's what this teacher of the law and Jesus had in mind with this question, when this question is asked. And Jesus sums up the Torah, all of God's expectations, all of his commands, the laws of God, both written and oral, and the Ten Commandments, and all the teachings handed down by the rabbis, all in two commands. Love God with your whole self, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says in verse 31, there is no commandment greater than these. So let me ask you, where do you find the time and the energy to love God and your neighbor that thoroughly with your whole self. You, you may not know this, but in all this, there is a lifestyle ordinance that goes all the way back to the creation of the world that became sort of the foundation for this Shema in the Ten Commandments. 
In the beginning, we're told in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it says, by the seventh day, God had finished his work, the work he had been doing, that is creation. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then to mark the occasion, we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it says, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work he had been doing all the work of creating that he had done. So on this seventh day, God took a rest. It was a rest day. And it wasn't because he was tired. I mean, he's God. It didn't tucker him out at all. But he introduced for all of humanity a religious maintenance plan for the human race. And he was so serious about it that he chose to make himself the example. Now, most of us know this seventh day as the Sabbath. The word Sabbath literally means to rest. And it wasn't until the Exodus, after God rescued Israel out of Egypt, after, uh, after that, that God instituted this Sabbath rest for the people. That it should become sort of law within their nationhood. That they should accept it as part of their religious lifestyle. So what are you supposed to rest from? Well, clearly, we see that God rested from all his work of creating. And after the Exodus, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, one of those commandments said to Israel that they were supposed to do the same. Listen to it. Turn to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. This is the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant or your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Now, you know there are ten commands. But all these commands were meant to flow out of one command, the very first one. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God must be your ultimate priority in all of life. And what he says goes. Later that day, the Ten Commands were then distilled down to a single statement known as the Shema. You can find its reference to to its ordinance in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 5. And this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's what we read Jesus reading in the New Testament in Mark chapter 12. The Jews understood the Shema as the summation of the Ten Commands and the foundation of their religion. In fact, it was so Uh, so prevalent and so powerful for them that even today it is recited twice daily by devout Jews, morning and evening. With hand over the eyes, they recite it. And as a reminder to them of who the Lord God is to them as a covenant people. The Shema is recited every Saturday during Shabbat at the Sabbath blessing. And when the Torah scroll is taken out of the ark, not the ark of the covenant or the Noah's ark, just there's an ark on the wall, a cabinet. But when that Torah scroll is pulled out of that ark in a synagogue, it's also recited, the Shema. 
The Shema is the final prayer on Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day, the day of atonement for the people of, of Israel. And traditionally, the Shema is supposed to be your last words before you die. So when the teacher of the law confronted Jesus and asked him, what is the most important of the Ten Commands? Jesus quotes the Shema. Mark chapter 12 again. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This teacher of the law was testing Jesus. They'd been doing it all day kind of taking turns with different questions. But he was testing Jesus' knowledge of Torah, of the law, the commands of God. See, all his life, this teacher had prioritized knowing the commands, quoting it faithfully and reciting it all, at all the different religious ceremonies and, and moments of his life. But Jesus prioritized loving God before the command. That's quite a different process, isn't it? So this leads us to our first point. Number one, we are expected to love God with everything we are. We are expected, you could underline that word expected, we are expected to love God with everything that we are. Verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I hope you see the religious significance of the Shema. It's, it's meant to orient all the parts of, of a human being to putting Yahweh, God of Israel, first in everything. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and mind. And for the Jew, joined with Sabbath, every seven days, you needed to get your emotional, spiritual, and physical batteries renewed, for sure, with Sabbath rest. But more importantly, on Sabbath, you needed to get and reorient yourself to God, to make Him first priority before anything else. And that's why there was a cessation of work in anything else. You're supposed to put God first. And if you didn't, they knew this by experience. They had thousands of years of history as a nation. They knew this, that if you didn't do this, you didn't re-energize your batteries, but more importantly, you didn't reorient yourself and prioritize your love for God. And we see, see, we, we, we obey the command because we love the Lord. We don't obey the command uh, we don't love the command to obey the Lord. There's, there's a difference between those two. We, we, we don't obey the command before loving God. But that's what Jesus challenged the Pharisee and the Sadducees with constantly. Because they were constantly doing that. They loved the command really before they loved God. More than they loved God. Funny, that's precisely why God instituted the Sabbath. That's why the command was, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. In other words, make sure you observe this day of putting me first. Why? So that Israel would be forced to pause from all their activity and doing, so that every week 
they could have time to reorient the priority of their relationship with God. That was love for God, not love for commands. And that was the basis of their relationship and covenants with God. And that orientation at the first day of the week was meant to sustain them throughout the rest of the week. With, of course, morning and evening Shema prayers were recited so that they wouldn't forget the commitment and the love that they had for God on Sabbath. I like how author and pastor Louis Giglio describes Sabbath. He says, he describes it as a day up, not just a day off. It's a day to remember that he is God and we are not. Friend, do you have a day of rest? You might say, well, not a full day. I mean, I go to church, but then, you know, the rest of the day is my own. Do you have a day up with the Lord, not just a day off? Dads, here's where you can have an invaluable service to your kids, with your family, by guarding a day where, as a family, you reorient your priority to worshiping God above all else even above your work and your leisure activities. You can rest and play on that day, absolutely, but make sure that your kids get to know that as a family, you prioritize the Lord above all things. So make sure your kids get that. Bring your kids to church in the morning as a first priority on, on, on the, the Lord's day. Spend some time with him in the word and in prayer later on in the day. Maybe learn the Shema as a family. We find it here in Mark 12. And quote it often as a reminder to you of what is most important. See, right from creation, God set the pace and the priority of life. He gave them a lifestyle to follow. And it's all about where their heart was at. That's a deeply holy thing. Because when the heart and the soul and the mind and the strength are rightly oriented to the loving God first, above all else, then obedience will just naturally flow out of that love. We shouldn't even have to really talk about commands. It would just naturally flow out of our love for God. Obedience is an expression of love for God, but it's, it means nothing if it's just an obligation. And you know what? For far too long, the church has made obedience the big deal, and not love for God. And we try to enforce that on people around us, even people in our life network. And so is it any reason why they don't want to come to church? Point number two. We are also expected to love our neighbors as ourself. We are expected to love our neighbors as ourself. Mark 12, <clears throat> 29. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus does something really interesting here. He does something that most of us don't get, but the teacher of the law did. Because it was part of the Ten Commands and it was also part of the Shema. See, the Ten Commands seemingly have two divisions in them. The first division is the first four commands. And they're describing how to love your God. Like, you shall not have any other gods before me. 
The second division, the last six commands, describe how to love your neighbor. And by reciting the Shema this way, Jesus joined one's love for God and one's love for neighbor like never before. He even said it like this. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In other words, he joined them together into one command. He made them inseparable. They were joined to, they were two, they weren't two separate priorities. They were a joined priority. And it had always been that way in Jewish religion, even though some may have forgotten. So if you say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor, then you don't really love God and vice versa, right? We see that in the New Testament too. As Jesus says, there is no commandment greater than these. Now let me get a bit personal. Since the people in our Life Network think that the people at church are just a bunch of religious hypocrites, and we get why they would think that, because they don't really know us, do they? They don't really know where our hearts are at. That it's not just about rules for us. It's out of love for God that we go to church. It's out of love for God that we try to live like we do. But how will they discover that about us, the real us? That we're not hypocrites if we're not with them. If they're not with us in our homes, on our patios, with us at cafes or at the local pub, restaurants. For sure there have been many Christians who have prioritized commands over love for neighbor. And that's why the unbelievers see Christians as hypocrites. Because that's all they've ever encountered. Friend, we are expected to love God with everything that we are, but likewise, we are to love our neighbor with everything we are too. We're supposed to love our neighbors with our heart, with all our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. That's a sacrificial love for sure. Like the commands we keep and why we go to church, those are priorities, but they should never have priority over people. And Jesus lived that, didn't he? We actually see that happen in this teacher of the law that tried to test Jesus. Look at verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no one, no other but him. To love him with all of our heart, with all of our understanding, and with all your strength And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, way more important than all my other religious obligations. And then listen to how Jesus responds to him. Verse 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Friends, I want the people in my neighborhood and in my life network to get closer and closer to the kingdom of God with every week that passes. I'm sure you do too. But we're going to have to do something different as a lifestyle that puts God and people as a priority over our own chores and tasks, leisure activities, All that. 
We're going to have to do something different in the way we spend our time if we're going to see it. And dads, I, I know there's a ton of projects that you need to do around the house. I know that you want your kids involved in sports activities because you want them to be active. And who knows, maybe they'll be an all-star in some professional sports league someday. Not likely. But I guarantee you, and I hope that you can see it in my family, that if you prioritize the greatest of all commands, your children will not just turn out as well-adjusted adults. They will mirror your love for God and your love for neighbors as well. I know I could have done so much better in both of those commands. I love God with my whole self. I probably could have done a lot better loving my neighbors. So dads, let's not let another generation go by that does not know how to prioritize God above all things. And in order for that to happen, it means that we need to prioritize God in our week, in our lifestyle, in how we live. That we have a day up, not just a day off. And we prioritize discipling our families. That's of utmost importance. They need to learn to love God and make him a priority too. And then they need to see us exercising hospitality in order to love their neighbors into the kingdom. That's what it was all about. Remember Jesus came last week, we found out he came to seek and to save the lost. And I hope that you didn't miss an important piece in all this. The Ten Commands are important. The Shema is important. But they hinge on a very holy practice. A practice that God hinged the two divisions of the Ten Commands together with. It hinges love for God and love for neighbor together. It's the fourth command. Exodus 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. In other words, put it in your calendar, mark it with an X, make sure it happens. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or, or daughter, your, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Now I get that there's a lot of debate in some circles, not many circles, in a lot of circles, about whether the Sabbath is still instituted by God as a way that believers should observe it. Let me settle it with what the Apostle Paul said. He was a converted Pharisee, right? says in Romans 14, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. And whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Notice that, a day up, not just a day off. Colossians 2, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. Remember Jesus talked about that. That man was not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So the day, like the command, isn't as important as one's love for God. 
But there is a principle behind Sabbath, like the Shema, that really should be followed. Namely, that you and I need to ensure that we take time, holy time, to set aside work and other priorities to follow and reinforce our priority of love for God. With all our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And we need to be with people because that's part of the Sabbath. We need time, Sabbath time, holy time, to rest and play. You need an up day that is a day for the Lord first. And that's what the Lord's Day, Sunday, in most Western countries was all about. It used to be that stores were closed on Sunday. There were no organized sports, and you didn't even cut your lawn on Sunday, did you? Do you remember those days? Yeah? Sunday was for the Lord first. First at church, and then with your family and friends. It was a day that you practiced hospitality. Now, I'm not contending that we should fight society to go back to that. As nice as that would be, but I don't think it's possible to put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak. But you know who can observe it and can remember it? God's people. And you know what? I don't think it's necessary that it be enforced across society. But I think it's very important that we as God's people have a time, I think daily, morning and evening, but also a day in the week where we set aside time to make God first. Every day is the Lord's. And if he gets first priority every day, if you spend time at the beginning, at the end of the day, loving God, and if you pick a day personally and treat it as holy, as best as you possibly can. Yeah, there's going to be things that happen. An ox is going to fall in a hole or things like that, like Jesus said. But you make people a priority. You make God a priority. And I believe that we will see more of our life network getting closer and closer to the kingdom of God every day because they will see that we're not a bunch of hypocrites. We're people who genuinely love God and want to share him with others. Last week I gave us a challenge. I said we have three months left of summer. Sorry about that. I keep bringing that up, don't I? That's painful. So why don't we plan one day this summer to invite our neighbors over to our homes, to our patios, to the park if you don't have a patio or a, door or a, or a lawn, to just rest and play together, to get to know each other and to bring food into the equation. Drag the barbecue out to the front lawn and bring out the yard games. Uh, Invest in a good cooler and and, and some lawn chairs and always have some good food and drink on hand just in case people are, are able to come. The church has all kinds of different things. We've got fire pits and fire barrels and some of those yard games, if you can't afford them, we'll gladly lend them to you. I know I said one event, one invite to your patio or backyard or your house this summer, but maybe we should step it up. If we're going to make it a lifestyle, maybe we need to at least have one once a month. And so why don't we, since there's only three months left of summer, plan one party a month to have people into our homes from our life network, from our neighborhood. Or just every Sunday, drag the cooler out to the front steps or your front lawn or your driveway and have a bunch of drinks ready in that cooler to share with others as they walk by. Just say, hey, why don't you come on over, have a sit down, let's, find, let's talk. 
Dads, can you imagine how good it will be for your kids to see you exercising hospitality and taking spiritual leadership in the home to make that happen? God's word is impressive. Not only is there thousands of years of people journeying with God and God journeying with people, but it shows us even today that even though we're under a new covenant, a covenant of grace, the priority is always the same. It's still the same. Loving God with our whole self and loving our neighbors as ourself. Friends, let's make that our priority. And let's see the world think differently of the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Lord, I love your word. I love how timeless it is. I love how it speaks to everything about my life. I love how exciting it is to follow the narrative, but I also love, sometimes I don't, sometimes it bothers me, but I love how it can it challenge me and how it even convicts me. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for my sisters and brothers here today. I thank you for all the dads here today. And I pray that we will not let another generation go by where our families and our friends, the people in our life network, let, help us not to have another generation go by where they think that we're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Lord, help them to know that we love you and we love them and we would do anything for them with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Lord, make your word come true in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.